0: And I'll, admittedly, a little bit more sometimes. Um, my name is Chris Miranda, and I'm your host. Did I say I'm Chris Miranda already? I always repeat myself with this thing. It's, I'm getting into a, a weird loop, but today I'm joined by Otherworld Interactive, and these guys have been creating masterpieces of virtual reality that I'm very excited uh, to be able to speak with. Like, you guys are uh, the creators of Robo Cafe Um. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. Ah, oh, good. I got that one. Um. I'm not, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're. Yeah. You're also creators of. St- Sisters on, on Android, and soon to come out of for Gear VR. I don't know if I was supposed to say that. Um, and then there's a music video uh, for Android. I don't know if I'm supposed to say that either, but yeah, I just late. did. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> on the arm. <laughs> yeah, in the span of an intro. Um, but let's get this out of the way. I am joined by uh, to my left. I have. Andy Goldstein. Andy Goldstein. And Mike Murdoch. Mike Murdoch. And Robin Gray. Robin Gray. Um, and you guys are Otherworld. Thank you again for joining me.
1: Yeah, thanks for Of us. course.
0: Thank you. Sweet. Okay, so I'm going to make sure, uh, because my setup is kind of ghetto, as you can see, it's just my laptop, and this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to turn it around. I'm going to turn it on on you guys, All so right. that we can... So we can, the whole cool. world can hear you guys. Great, great. And okay. we'll crowd in a little bit. Sweet. Yes. Uh, because audio is important. Um, so tell me about yourselves. How did Otherworld start off, like, in the first place?
2: So the three of us went to graduate school together at USC Interactive Media Games Program. And uh, while we were all there, we were all kind of working on different virtual reality products. Uh, Mike was a contractor at Oculus. Robin worked at the Mixed Reality Lab. And I did... Um, some work for Intel perceptual computing, doing some game design for that, and uh, we actually graduated college, and there was a virtual reality contract kind of sitting out there, and we formed a little company, and then rolled that into more contracts and doing more stuff, so it just kind of was, hey, What's going to happen? What do we want to pay attention to? Virtual reality looks really cool. We've got experience. And we just started making
0: things.
1: I mean, it was really awesome because usually um, I have lots of friends who've gone through similar grad programs. They want to go into games of some sort, but you get to games and you're like, well, this is already established. It's really hard to get in. And I really want to make my own stuff. But really, it seems more practical to join a big company and do something there for a while. But here we had the opportunity to just go ahead and try making our own stuff because there's just this huge hole where VR needs content and we can stuff. <laughs> yeah, we, we
3: envisioned this from the beginning as a virtual reality uh, content company. We saw a lot of head-mounted displays on the horizon and said, all of these platforms are going to need content, quality content. And we sat at a privileged position at um, USC's film school in the interactive media and games division um, in that they close tied to the MXR lab. So that's where Palmer Lucky worked before he started Oculus. Mm-hmm. And we've designed on everything from you know, military-grade VR systems that fill up an entire room, and uh, mobile phones. And um, you know, we've known for a while that this is coming, and uh, the perfect timing, finishing up our program, and uh, launching the company.
0: That's awesome. That is, you guys have some pedigree behind you with the M- MXR Lab and Intel and Oculus. That's that's pretty awesome. And so, for people who are, you know, it, it, at the MXR Lab right now, I don't know if you guys are aware, but like. How are they, how are they seeing themselves, uh, you know, positioning themselves, are they coming out and thinking to themselves, alright, it's time to make VR, bitches, or is it more like, you know, pursuing their own passions and goals?
1: I, think, I mean, you go ahead. yeah, I worked at the MXR lab my first year uh, as part of the USBC program, I worked as a research assistant. And, I mean, they're strictly an academic lab. Um, Like most academic research labs, they get a lot of government funding, particularly military um, contracts. And so for them, it's kind of like, well, it's cool that everyone else is doing VR now. We've been doing VR. And they're just kind of continuing to do their own really cool research experiments. I mean, they've been
2: doing cool stuff for, what, 20, 30 years in virtual reality? I mean, they really know what they're doing down there. They've really got some cool technology, and I think they kind of look at the rest of us saying, "Hey, glad you're aboard, man. Yeah, I'm glad yeah. you've kind of caught yeah. on." I
1: mean, there's this like kind of everyone's like, "Oh my God, virtual reality! It's so new and shiny," but you know, it's it's been around for quite a while. And research in academia has known that uh, yeah. people like Disney Imagineering have been poking at it for ages. But this is you know now consumer grade.
2: We're at yeah. one of the first points where these products are now consumer available. Mm-hmm. You know, it's recently that you can pack all the parts together into something that's sub uh, four hundred dollars or that it can come out on your cell phone. Right? Yeah. So that's one of the reasons that I think you're seeing a bunch of this resurgency.
0: But let me ask you this, and this is a question that you'll probably get asked around a lot, and you know, what makes you guys confident that VR, mainstream consumer VR, will be successful this time around?
1: I mean, look at all the big guys that are backing it. That was an, was, an easy question. Yeah, come on. Um, I mean, not, don't before don't worry, it's just it up, like no Disney worry. and it's the parks occasionally breaking out some VR to the public, but now it's like Google, you got Sony, rumors of Apple, Microsoft. Well,
3: and we don't just point at them and say, like, look, money, that's why it's going to happen. But come on, <laughs> yeah, money. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> money helps a lot. Um, uh, but, you know, mainly uh, what the MXR lab was doing a little bit before Oculus formed was – democratizing the, the tech. So let's stick a couple you know iPhones in there and see if we can do VR displays on just cell phones. And they were very successful uh, with that. And so um, we're at the point now that million, millions of people have a phone in their pocket right now that can run VR. So um, they, all they need is a viewer. And all they need to want the viewer is perfect content. So they go into VR to watch a new music video for their favorite band or an episode of a cartoon. Um, that they're really into, or play a, a little game, or, you know, we've been covering the market too, like a tie into a movie. Um, these sort of marketing budgets are available, and they extend the transmedia reach of um, advertising a lot, and so that's why it's happening now.
0: Yeah. What is, and so you mentioned, you know, the uh, advancement of mobile technology, um, and I see that you guys aren't putting your, your eggs in just one basket, you're going for desktop VR and uh, mobile VR. But in your minds, you know, where is the future headed to? Is, is, which one is going to be where the bulk of the market share will be?
2: Yeah, you know, I think that's a great question because I think you can approach that question from multiple perspectives. You know, I think from what you can build on a computer, you can definitely create you know, better experiences than mobile. You know, if you think about the games you play on your PS4 versus a game you play on a mobile phone, the graphics are better. The stuff you can do is more They're longer experiences, but you can still play on a mobile phone. Now, the stuff that you get on the mobile phone, you know, is downloadable and more people can consume it. So... For virtual reality to really take off and grow, I think it's going to start in the mobile phones. But for those people who really enjoy it, I think you're going to get some really awesome experiences from the computer stuff, too. So it's not just one platform. I think it's all over. It's a whole ecosystem of stuff that's coming out there.
3: We look at the Venn diagram of the Note 4. (laughs) That's the only phone that the Gear VR from Samsung works with. The Venn diagram of that and hardcore gamers is not very much overlap, but... um, but the phones in the coming years that are released are going to be VR optimized, are going to be pretty great platforms in their own right Mm -hmm. uh, to consume and to really enjoy this type of content.
1: That being said, um, we've targeted, a lot of our stuff is is targeted towards phones um, because we believe you know, the hardcore gamers are already kind of into VR. They're like, oh, this is really cool. We love new tech. Let's try out this new tech. Um, but we really want to encourage people who might be a little bit afraid of VR. They might not feel like there's anything really there for them. We want to hit those people to come up with something that they will enjoy and to kind of lure them and <laughs> get them to cross the <laughs> yeah, threshold. I mean, we right know. in the cult of VR. <laughs> yeah, we, we
2: really want, you know, someone to talk to their friend and say, oh, I tried this really cool VR experience. You should try it. And that person to say, okay, let me give it a try. And it's something really cool, something they they see and they can see the future
3: of it, and then they themselves download it and try and show it to their friends. Mm-hmm. That's a good point, the, the word share. Um, That's what helps technology proliferate so when people could share ideas via email or animated gifs of dancing babies or on YouTube easily share with people That's what really made a platform take off and mobile is great for that. You can do a VR experience You can hand it to your friend very easily Mm -hmm. and um, enjoy these experiences Um, There's a ton of YouTube videos of people just reacting to watching YouTube videos (laughs) Um, And once that whole culture becomes um, You know into VR, into that space, then we'll really see it take off.
0: I and so I, I want to ask you guys about your sort of your creative goals and the aesthetic that you put into your games and experiences. Because at the end of the day, I, I wonder, like, how you guys, how would you guys want to be remembered? Like, what do you, what is world <laughs> Like, what is, what is, what are, what, what is, what is the defining feature about your artistic? Uh, expression and what, it, what is the feeling that you're looking for out of your user that sets you from everybody else that's trying to create something cool.
3: I'm going to defer to Robin. Uh, Robin, (laughs) by the way, is our chief designer, and um, she brings a lot of story expertise and sort of narrative uh, expertise to our projects that that really distinguishes them.
1: Yes, I mean, I'm I'm a sucker for stories and other worlds. Um, I was the kid that was just like, ah, you know, Lion, the Witch, and the Wargrove. That's sweet. I want there to be other worlds out there. That would be awesome, and VR kind of fulfills that for me um and we kind of one of the things that we've thrown around a lot lately is the fact that when you are in a virtual reality experience you feel like you're actually there you get a sense of space you go you know oh like this thing is about a foot away from me uh, there's like a chair that's over there great so when you think about this experience later it's very similar to like when you think about it, an actual memory that you've had in the real world there's obviously a certain tangibility that we're not quite at yet but the fact is you're making real spatial memories so it's kind of like if we were to be hallmark of We'd say, oh, we're making you know real memories out of virtual places. Ah, it's on our website. We create virtual <laughs> no, it's not. Nice. <laughs> that's, <cheesy. laughs> that's kind of a kind of the angle we get. Um, a lot of our a lot of our experiences, we try to create the sense that there might be this world beyond just the um the experience that we're showing you. So mm-hmm. with Cafe Om, for example, a lot of people are like, oh, I really want to get up and walk around because it looks like there's so much more stuff out there for me to see. Um, and we also really love, I guess, creating a sense of whimsy creating a sense that there is, again, more to explore. Um, I guess like
3: joy and delight and discovery. Um, We don't need to blow things up. um, Or, you know, 3D movies, when they were first uh, beginning to catch on, they could poke you in the eye every couple minutes, so they did. And um, we want to be more subtle and more respectful to the medium.
1: And as much as we love Sisters for being a ghost story, it's the kind of scares you might get out of Disney, really. It's not like the horrible, gory, oh my god, there's an eye socket without an eye, that kind of thing. We want people to delight in being there, um, Mm -hmm. not possibly be traumatized by being there. (laughs) But I think another thing we
2: really want to do is, you know, Oculus has been talking about the word presence a lot, and I think they're right in talking about it in that we really want people to have that moment or those few moments that they forget they're in the real world and Mm -hmm. really be transported someplace else, to really be there to realize they're a new character or that they're in a new scene. I think that's what... You know, virtual reality can really do, and we want to be on the forefront of creating those experiences.
3: And to wrap up this thought, I suppose, you know, after you have presence, you have that virtual memory. And um, I think what people are going to start talking about after we get more presence in VR is the virtual memories that people get to share and experience and talk about.
0: That's really cool. What is your, what does your production process look like? How does something go from, I have an idea in my head while I'm in the shower, to... It's on Android Store. <laughs> well, usually Mike and
1: I are like, oh my god, this idea is great. And Andy's like, no, no, let's, uh, let's pull the craziness down about five levels, and then we settle on something that we think will be I kind of
2: do the business perspective of things that we're making, yeah. so sometimes I shut things down, but unfortunately.
1: But beyond the idea phase, um, we came out of USC, um, and I also came from the ETC program, and both those emphasize this kind of rapid prototyping approach where you go, oh, you have a cool idea let's try rolling with it let's try making it fun does it feel fun no it doesn't feel fun let's try a different approach Hmm. um so rather than sinking in you know months into an idea we aim to like come up with something within a week or two weeks and we see if that's something we can continue. most of our
2: productions generally are around a month and it's basically full-time working on one thing trying to identify why it's good, why it's fun, highlighting that, and then trying to turn that into a small bite-sized kind of piece, into like a vertical slice, because the great virtual reality now isn't the hour or the two-hour-long stuff. It's really the two- to five-minute things are, yeah. are really fun, and people really
3: enjoy that. Yeah. Yeah. We, we have a theory. We have to test it as soon as possible. I mean, th- virtual reality is such a new medium that um, you know we've been looking back, and through USC Film, we've had that perspective of, when they were trying to figure out what film was, what it was good for, they tested it. Um, Kulesha, uh Eisenstein um, helped figure out the uh, language of editing. When you show, uh, for example, the image of the man and then an image of food, the audience just between those two images decided that he was hungry. Um, that wasn't inherent in, you know, he, he wasn't seen eating food or rubbing his stomach like he was really hungry, but that uh, idea existed between the cut. Okay. And it, it popped into the audience's mind, and so that's what we're doing with storytelling now in virtual reality: is we're trying to figure out the language. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it's slow going. Sometimes we have, we try something and it just works, um, and people really love that. Sometimes, but <laughs> like, r- rarely, I should say. Um, so it's a lot of hard work.
0: Yeah, and so what is, in, in figuring out the language, you know, are you guys? Sharing your findings or are you waiting for you to figure out a bigger bulk so that you can, you know, I mean, it can, can this model of production be standardized for other VR companies or is it just the same thing? that you can do with video games you can do it in VR if you already have the experience it's definitely the
1: process is similar the approaches are different I mean a lot of I think I would say the old school of thought for creating video games was like oh we have this huge idea let's do this idea we're just gonna push on this idea and hope it works but I think a lot of studios, especially smaller studios like Indie Studios, take the rapid prototyping approach already. Um, I would say, especially as um, graduate programs like ours kind of emerged, that's kind of been the school of thought. Uh, the difference, obviously, again, being that things that are common uh, thought that make sense, that seem really awesome in video games, might not work in VR. Yeah. A
3: great example um, from yeah. the Call of Duty, for example. Andy will.
2: Yeah, no, I always use this example from Call of Duty because it's it helps you understand a uh, kind of... You know, what's going on? So Call of Duty, when you play that, your character is running, like I think, like 10 meters per second, something like that. To give you a comparison, the fastest human might run 5 meters per second or so. So if you put that in virtual reality, your brain has never run that fast before, yeah. so it will inherently make you sick. So it's things like that, like assumptions that you've already created in a non-virtual reality world, that if you translate that into a virtual reality world, you're going to have to go back and you're going to have to redo it. So it takes a bar to understand exactly what's good in virtual reality and the types of things that you have to scale back. It's... It's a different medium, even though it is one that is similar to games. You have to realize how you want to use it. A great example is movement. I mean, we, have, we spend a ton of time just talking about how you do movement well in virtual reality. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't do movement well in virtual reality, you make people sick. And you really don't want to make anyone sick because they'll stop being users. So
1: but at the same time, movement is a building block of like every game ever these days. Yeah. <laughs> so it's yeah. kind of a huge problem.
2: <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we do prototypes. We've got one project we've been working on where we've basically just been trying to figure out how can we do movement really well? And how can we make the user not sick while doing movement? Because that's a key to unlocking more and more genres. But it's almost a question like Mike was talking about, of the cut, mm-hmm. you know, that's a language that developers right now have to create. And we're working through those problems almost collectively as a group of developers to see, you know, who's done movement really well? What did yeah. they do? Like, how does that work? Like, what can we take from that to make it better?
3: We, we generally, follow the forums pretty well to see what people are doing when they're releasing a build early, to have people test on it. And um, over the next couple months, we're doing more talks and, and t- telling about our experience. So we definitely want to share our experience and kind of what we learned, um, because that moves the whole uh, industry and the whole medium forward.
0: In terms of going back to movement a little bit further, you know, is could this problem of movement be solved with better hardware? Or is it really something where we need to nail down the standard and say, okay, don't Great. do it?
2: Great question. It's uh, it's a little combo of both. Mm-hmm. Now, Mike can talk a lot more about the hardware, but with the, the content, think of it this way. The reason a person gets motion sick is because the interaction between what the eyes see and what the brain knows is happening is different. Mm -hmm. So if you put me on a roller coaster in virtual reality, my eyes are saying, okay, I'm moving, I'm moving really fast, I'm going in six or seven different directions, but your brain is like, oh, you're still sitting there, buddy. And that's what makes you sick. So think about like a Call of Duty explosion. Mm -hmm. Well, if you looked at that in virtual reality and an explosion happens next to you, it might rattle the camera, it might shake but then again your brain is saying hey you're not shaking. So it's things like that that you'd have to cut out to make it a better experience. Yeah. So half of it is definitely content and I'll pass it over to Mike
3: with the hardware. Well, I mean with the hardware, if, if we knew the answer then Oculus would love to hear from us because <laughs> that's you know they're they're trying to solve this problem and push the hardware faster, better, um, the other lyrics from Daft Punk. Uh <laughs> But yeah, you know, better tracking, faster refresh on the screen will definitely help with it. Um, we use the analogy: they made great films before they had color three D films, yeah. and so we can be respectful as to what's capable um, now uh, with the hardware and design great experiences. Mm-hmm. For example, Rubble Obliteration. Um, we decided that moving people through three D spaces tends to make them sick, mm-hmm. so instead, what we designed is. 3d planets and asteroids that are hovering in front of you and we rotate the world to come to you so that you're still in a very comfortable experience but um, the whole world rotates and brings that content to you so it allows somebody to very comfortably explore the whole surface of the planet without really moving i mean the past hundred years of screen media has had people sitting or standing maybe and looking forward and changing that is going to be really really hard
0: does the fact that it, for in, in robo-obliteration, for example, does the fact that you have a black background, space, does that help also with uh, the simulation sickness, or does that inconsequential?
3: Yeah, it does. When we tried it with more uh, high-contrast stars and galaxies in the background, people mm-hmm. feel that motion whipping around as the planet rotates, and that can make them sick. So we toned it down. And if you look around, you can still kind of see... The stars and everything but um, just to give you a sense of atmosphere but really we pushed it back because that motion can um, you know make some people uneasy
0: there's so i feel like they're and correct me if i'm wrong but i feel like there's a fine line between uh, providing people with delightful experiences and uh hand holding too much for 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 example like i uh, i'm gonna have to disagree in some of the things about movement because I'm crazy. I can handle Team Fortress 2 with DK2 for nine hours straight. That's awesome. huge <laughs> rock, it's, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm weird. And, but it, but the first half hour, oh my god. Was, my stomach was like... Yeah, <laughs> I, you know,
2: I, I completely don't disagree with you. I think the point that I would make is to say that if we are trying to grow a virtual reality consumer market, yeah. then we don't want to turn off the first people to try it. We need to grow it and to create experiences... That are kind of soothing in the kind of motion sickness way will allow us to have more users who will come back and share with their friends. Mm -hmm. And so it helps the community by not creating these crazy
1: kind of roller coaster. not everyone's going to cross the line. I agree. Um, And also,
3: you know, for everybody like you, um, there's the complete opposite. There's a um, decently uh, large percentage of uh moviegoers who can't handle three D movies with the glasses. That just makes it gives them headaches and makes them sick. Yeah. And so three D movies they can't do it. Same thing's gonna happen with VR. So you've got your mutant superpowers but you know we we try to um We try to also design for somebody who um, does uh, is a little more susceptible to sickness. And
1: I'd say from a selling the dream standpoint too, there's a certain level of the illusion that gets broken when you go, oh, I'm running around, but my ass is still sitting in my chair. Like Mm -hmm. we, I think cafe on works really well because you are just sitting in this thoughtful space. As soon as we go, oh, if you move this analog stick, you can start walking out. Even if people don't feel sick, that's suddenly a disconnect from the body and the character that we place them in. We were listening to Ready Player One on the drive up, and you hear these huge passages in the first part of the game, um, spoiler, the first part of the book, Mm -hmm. where he's just like, oh, I'm running around, I'm like hitting things, I'm uncovering all this stuff on this virtual world. But in reality, he's, like, sitting in a tiny car in a junkyard with yeah. something on his face and some things on his hands, and I'm just like, uh, having dealt with VR for the last six months, I'm just like, oh, I don't think I would feel really great. Yeah. <laughs> like, no matter how rich Oasis is, it's still like, eh.
3: There is some whatever. intriguing <laughs> research that's, that's coming forward, like, stimulating um, the inner ear uh, with um, magnetic or some sort of... Um,
0: vestibular, galvanic, vestibular, yeah. or something, something. Yeah. yeah, that so sounds like, like you, exactly the right type like of I but mean, you know,
1: if your legs are moving, you're not feel like Sure, not so
3: so some um, of those things, like uh, envisioning a head mount that has you know little um, pieces behind your ears that kind of stimulate that, um, could mitigate motion sickness. I'm
0: with you with that. I don't see what's I don't see what's wrong with putting uh, more or less electrodes <laughs> behind <laughs> the back. <laughs> <laughs> I I really don't mind because if I don't know if you guys have heard of transcranial direct current stimulation. Like I'm I'm trying. If if you're listening and if you have a machine, let, hook me up. Let me try it <laughs> because essentially it's this thing where you like you put hook an electrode to your left arm and. Uh, another one to you the right temporal side of your brain and they did this thing I don't know if you guys heard of like um, it was a radio lab they, have you guys heard of that yeah we to a radio to lab a fucking radio lab I love it but they did this one piece where this reporter went to a simulation training in a sniper sniper rifle like situation and she had to shoot 20 enemies and the first time she goes through it she bombs like she she went two minutes into it and she was like I can't do this I can't do this then they hooked her up with the electrodes 20 minutes goes by, and she killed everybody with 100% accuracy. And all she kept saying was like, when is this going to get when, – when is this going to get harder? Like that's okay. all she was thinking. And so there's been like – I've been rambling now, but there's been research showing that you could actually electrocute the brain and increase your learning capacity, your cognitive <laughs> abilities. Um, and so – I'm down for electrocuting
3: the back of my ear, if you I can. I not mind if we need playtesters who don't mind being electrocuted. <laughs> As I was going to say, there's also
1: the Lucy option where you, you know, drug me all while well and get into oh, yeah. the brain, it's like, open up, open up, don't do, yeah, I'm
3: don't like do drugs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I'm not sure if that's a viable option yet.
1: Um,
0: and if you do them share but here's the thing guys what about your goals for the future and what you're trying to do you know in terms of the next year the next two years because it's going to be a big year from what the rumors of cs are saying um you know what what are your give me a is it, it's um, yeah,
3: Okay. okay. Well, the strange thing about predicting the future is you get better at it. I think that was what Jesse Shell from uh, <laughs> yeah, said that. Um, and you don't have to wait as long to test your theories. You get now, like, let's take us a year in the future. Um, CES will have just happened for 2016, mm-hmm. and uh, we're assuming that Oculus and Sony will both have their, Maybe Microsoft. Who knows? We've heard, you know, rumors on um, Twitter or whatever. So you know these companies will have their consumer versions of the mounts out. So that's pretty easy. We basically say, okay, we've got a year now to build some great experiences for that. And Rebel Obliteration is part of a larger um, ar- suite of arcade games called the Galactic Wrecking Company. So it's like Garbage Men in Space, um, not the like gleaming, you know, sparkly sci-fi, but this is just like uh, more of the Alien meets Douglas Adams kind of fun, whimsical. Um, let's take away all the shininess. Um, but uh, it, it's a great um, playground for us to experiment with gameplay. Very cool. So, um, you know, we decide to release a new arcade game. The viewer can watch it launch from the planet and dock onto your space station, and now you've got a new module and a new arcade game. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what we're building. Um, you know, people have been turning around like Wii Sports of VR. So uh, it, think of it in sort of that capacity, because we think that's what the industry needs. And yeah. so um, that's a year from now. You know, um, we're working like crazy to bring new IP, uh, new experiences, because launching a new piece of hardware or medium is a great time to create new characters. Um, mm-hmm. People are more ready to accept uh, new experiences, they want all new. Yeah. Um, so that's about a year from now. Yeah. Um, the year after that, you know, we want to be a premier creator of content, we want to bring more IP, maybe sequels, more experiences to VR. Uh, and expand beyond games, um, VR, as we're learning, is a great medium for telling stories in spatial ways, in very personal ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, virtual empathy um, is you know, going to be talked about a lot as well, yeah. and um, really allowing somebody to go someplace else and feel what it's like to be in another character's shoes. Yeah. Um, we're just beginning that, uh, that responsiveness to the design.
0: And it's funny you mentioned the whole storytelling aspect because that's something that I was getting out of Café. I'm... I'm... I'm not I'm done. Done. <laughs> it, You know, there is a... Um, it was... It, it's all... It's all an ambience. It's all an environment. And you're this robot and you look in the mirror and I'm like, holy fuck, I'm a, I am a robot, but how did I get here? What's my story? What? There's like... You're telling me something <laughs> without saying a single word, and I think that's really powerful. That's really cool. Um, But well, where do you take that next?
1: So, there are words that I want to say that one. It's mostly kind of an asset thing at the moment where the things I want to get, do and the places I want to go with that uh, will require us to burn a couple more hard stuff, which we might not have another own, hopefully. Um, so the, the idea is it's it's kind of an experiment in embodiment, right? So you, the player, are eventually or should hopefully um, kind of hit the realization that you're almost that first spark of sentience, you know, the thing that might kick off the robot revolution, but hopefully not because it's not that kind of story. Um, and I like... Uh, as, as you said, maybe it would, wouldn't be an experience for everyone because you're not running around uh, team fortressing it up. But I like the idea of uh, having a series of vignettes that basically tell the story about this first robot, um, you, in the beginning. Who has been purchased uh, by this cafe owner's father? Um, and she she will walk in at some point and kind of go, Oh, God, I hate, I don't know why you got me this thing. It's really creepy. It's, <laughs> I hate when it looks at me. And if you look yeah. at her, she'll just be like, See, it's doing it again. We it's can make creepy. you feel bad. Yeah, make you feel yeah. bad. <laughs> um, <laughs> I want you to be like, Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't- um, I want to tell the story of, uh, of this kind of weird 1950s steampunkish uh, world that starts embracing robots and maybe eventually ends up getting replaced peacefully by robots You know, maybe there's a scene there where you end up uh, at, at the funeral for your human parents and they have no children so you the robot end up inheriting their estate, right? <laughs> what a story! <laughs> but, like, that's great. You know,
2: something that's really cool about that that I, I love and Rama's talked about a bunch is that because you have an embodiment in virtual reality because we tell you you are x character Mm -hmm. what happens when we take that away and you are a different character what happens when you are staring at the scrap heap of the previous character you were that is an emotional moment that we can create (laughs) only because of that you know, yeah, of virtual yeah, yeah. reality
1: in that. And, yeah. So, I mean, Heavy Rain um, kind of tries doing this. It's, yeah. It skips you into different player's shoe, in shoes or different character's shoes. But, you know, you're, you're always in that kind of third-person camera and they're always kind of doing things that you don't quite want them to do. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas with this, like, you are that robot. You can choose to look over. You can choose to stare at the cafe owner's daughter and yeah, or whatever it's spark creepy, that yeah. reaction. Um, so how, how much more does that affect the player? How much more enticing is that? I guess to open I mean, up our design
3: process, is a little bit more for Café Am um you know a, a good analogy is like a pop-up book you turn the page you're in another scene you get to find out what's magical in that scene
1: and you get to figure out like where am I what happened since I was last here what's going on now um yeah and we're yeah. I mean, we've, to, we've to figure out that language <laughs> yeah. like how how do we do that without disorienting people how do we do it in a way yeah. where you're like excited instead of confused <laughs> yeah um
3: and then also like we're, we're doing interesting things with uh space mm-hmm. like um a lot of times in film, the progression is establishing shots, so this is a castle on a hillside and you know, medieval, and then you work your way in, and then you see, like, oh, here's the character that we're going to be following around, and then finally you get close enough where they have a dialogue scene. Mm-hmm. VR works its way kind of the opposite, where you start in this personal space in front of you, uh, and you, you know, about a two-meter um circle around you is sort of where you first realize where you are and then we expand that and then you know more like oh i'm looking out the window i see my reflection then we turn on the lights outside and now you're like oh it's a rainy night in paris and so that sort of storytelling is spatially we're directing space in the way that a lot of cinematographers direct the scene the structure of that um through a series of cuts and so really developing that language for cafe on um it was a, a first test experiment to see how that works but this is going to work for longer form vignettes, do stories. Um, you know, you flip the page in a pop-up book, and you're in a new place, yeah. and um, you're discovering what that is.
0: You know, you speak about space, and I think that you're the best example of you guys is utilizing uh, space around the the player, the user. Is sisters. I mean, you guys have all these things moving and it's showing up in different spots, and the lights are uh, flickering, and you know, you get this sense that you know of tension you know build up and i i like that um but you know it again you know where could you how far could you take that before it becomes uncomfortable for people and do you want you know do you want to give that like you know where is the next (laughs) yes the blood fest (laughs) of virtual reality or something like that yeah yeah like you know like and maybe you guys aren't about that maybe you're more about like this you like you mentioned earlier the disneyland whimsical thing um but would you agree or disagree that giving people the most gruesome, the most violent, crazy, <laughs> you know, horror experience ever would give you guys attention and therefore money? So how do you hassle? How, I mean, how do you wrestle between your creative, like, you know, values and the, the need for... Or the fact that you might make a lot of money.
1: Well, so the, we we had other plans for making money than, than gore. I think someone else is getting ah to okay. I mean, the so sisters for me, I really love uh, paranormal horror movies. The gory mm-hmm. horror movies have always seemed kind of easy to me because you get someone squeamish in the audience and then like they're freaked out just because there's there's gore on the screen. I don't think that there's a lot. Of, well, personally, I don't believe that there's a lot of value. I mean, I'm sure there is, but but for me, it's just like it's kind of kind of pot-jet. But then, yeah, we take, we take pop shots. And yeah. And step pop up well, and face. also, like, <laughs> in, in some
3: of those gory horror films, um, you're always worried, like, when are they going to show the gore? You know, when are mm. they going to do it? Um,
1: and it's less a thrill and more
3: of a... Well, and where, where we take the design sense <laughs> yeah. for VR is that because you can look behind you, you're worried about what's behind you. Mm. And that sense of personal space is yeah. really compelling the to, personal bubble to awesome. start working with. Like, if I got super mm-hmm. close to you... Um, there's a point where you got to
0: close to me right now.
3: it becomes uneasy at a point uh, for, for rendering for these hardware um, things if you get too close you can't focus on it because in real yep. life your eyes converge so there is a limit um, that's you know a foot and a half or so um, that you can't get in that personal space bubble um, otherwise the image starts so to get cross-eyed. I mean,
1: beyond, beyond the visuals, too, we, we do cause a lot of discomfort, I think, in sisters based on audio. Yeah, we um, haven't yeah. talked we, all about audio. I think so we cool. kind of disregarded trying to do the gore, trying to do the, like, I'm going to, you know, uh, be traumatized for life in exchange for, like, what kind of stakes can we raise purely with audio? Hmm. And then some kind of lighter, not super gory um, visuals. And, like, yeah, audio is something we've not hit on. You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like so past, we should like, talk about audio. I mean, just, just, just tell
2: me. to go, I mean... If you think about the new language that virtual reality is creating, Mm -hmm. that it's not necessarily about cuts and movement. Mm -hmm. We believe that audio is even more important because it's a specific way to cue the audience towards where you need them to look. In virtual reality, people can look 360 degrees around them at any time. So how do you get them to look at what you really want them to look at? And audio is one of the biggest answers to that. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and
3: sisters, we kind of cheated in that we can give you directional cues through binaural recording, Mm -hmm. Uh, if you haven't seen these microphones, they look like a dummy head and um, it's got microphones in the ears with weird silicon ears, but if you record audio through that, you get perfect spatialization. Okay. Listening to audio through one of these microphones allows you to close your eyes and tell me exactly how big the room in which it was recorded was, what the surface of the floor was, and the walls. They're really good.
1: The best example, this is a YouTube one you, you should be able to find called like, The Barber Shop. Virtual part. Barber Virtual yeah. Barber. So you'll see this guy will kind of circle around you, and he it feels at one point like he's breathing on your neck, and it's really creepy. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen
0: those, but what is, what's the challenge in particular when when you're developing virtual reality software and incorporating the 3D audio or Panera, well, what's, the, what's the challenge there?
3: <laughs> we cheated with Sisters because it's a ghost, so we can put the audio anywhere and the user doesn't expect to see the source match up exactly what they're seeing. Nice. But that's an opportunity as well. First of all, m- mobile devices don't have the processing power, so just playing back the audio and we don't have to do spatialization saves a little bit on processing. Um, You know, it's it's a new space to start designing with spatial visual spatial audio, Um, but you know it's clear that that is happening uh, very soon.
2: I would jump off of that and try and answer the question. Say. It really helps the abilities of storytellers to use that audio well. In that, you know, however you're arranging the story in virtual reality, if it's a branching narrative, it's a single narrative. You need to you need to get the attention of the user, and audio is one of the ways to do that. To help you use the tools and kind of your development toolbox to tell the story that you
3: want to tell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and for uh, Cafe Am, actually, we laid down a bed of binaurally recorded rain. And it really helps the, uh, and then we build audio on top of that, but it really helps the viewer sink into that environment because they have that um, perfect 3D sound, they feel more present. And audio has been missing a lot, people have been focusing on the visuals, but one of the big announcements at CES for Oculus was Mm -hmm. they had better 3D audio in their Crescent Bay demo. Um, not as many people reported on that, but it, it is noticed. That's really like, important. Really I mean,
2: yeah. not a lot of people reported on their audio, but like that's a really big breakthrough and really important to virtual reality. So
0: essentially, it's going to be a, a an integrated plugin that's com- that's going to come native with the SDK, or what's going yeah. to look yeah. Like? Um,
3: audio gets into a whole lot of other technical things, but um, so first of all, yeah, the, Oculus. Uh, I think they licensed or bought a company that does three D. Uh, audio synthesis, so you'd be able to use a plugin for whatever game engine and basically pinpoint where in space that sound is going to come from, and the user will be able to hear it. Um, but to really make 3D audio work for virtual reality, you need something called uh, HRTFs. Okay. And those are um, uh, head transform rotation uh, functions. Believe should maybe it's right, maybe it's um, but essentially what it is it's it's a model of your head. So you hear sound um, exactly from your height mm-hmm. and from your head shape and the shape of your ears. Mm-hmm. So if you heard sound recorded from somebody else's head, it would seem wrong. Um, once uh, you know, and we believe that in the future, very soon, people are going to know their HRTF. They're going to be able to plug it in and hear the proper song or sounds. Um, Also, with their IPD, you know, the distance between your pupils for VR, Mm -hmm. people are going to know it like their shoe size. Um, Mm -hmm. It's just going to be a number that they have memorized because it gives them that perfect experience. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot of math needed and a lot of work needed to bring perfect audio synthesis to VR. Mm -hmm. We're starting to do um, some of that work, though.
0: That's awesome. That's good to hear. Um, I'm going to shift a little bit and ask you about... Um, I, so I anticipate that it's just a matter of time before big publishers like your EA, your Activisions, your soft start getting in the game. And I wonder if the that eventuality threaten you in any way because you guys are a bit of a small studio. Um, and, and how do you anticipate uh, to compete with these with these big guys?
3: Uh, Andy's name nickname <laughs> is Business Pants. So we're going to throw this question to Mr. Business Pants. So you're asking the right question, but I I
2: think what you really have to talk about is return on investment for virtual reality. What really is the ROI for a lot of these things? Now, I think you can safely estimate right now that there are probably about a million virtual reality users. Mm -hmm. That's probably where you are. Worldwide, you would say. That would be my guess. I mean, if you just look at... How many oculuses they said are out there, and then how many Google cardboards they've sold yeah. like a ballpark? I think that's kind of where you are. so how many devices are out there do you need before one of these big companies wades in and get can get their money back and you know that's a very amalgamous number I mean. I think you're talking millions and millions, because not only do you need a healthy consumer base, but you need a consumer base that will purchase, and you need to have enough people that will actually buy it there, too. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for those guys, EA, and remember, these are big companies, for them to actually say, okay, we can get back our return on investment, they have to be pretty sure. So, I think what you're going to see is that those bigger guys are going to be subsidized by the people actually making the head mounts to make stuff for them. They're not going to go out there and make it and say, hey, we can get our return on investment by just making a game and sending it out there. They're going to be paid to make stuff. And that's what we think is going to happen with most of the head mounts In the short
0: term. Would, at least. Right? Definitely, yeah. definitely. But
2: how long do you need, I mean, this is a question from Mike Rob anyone, sure. like how long is it going to be before you have a very healthy virtual reality market? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you're looking, Bob, you know, at the earliest, maybe two, three years when you have over... 30 million people who have VR stuff, I think you can expect in the next year, if it really blows up, maybe 10 million worldwide users. I think that's a healthy goal. Mm -hmm. But, you know, look at how many users you need to actually make your ROI back. And that's why I think a lot of these big guys are hesitating, because there's no way for them to get the money
3: out of it that they put in there. Right. They, They wait till there's a big enough market. um, I mean,
2: think if they didn't. If these guys just laid their bets, they probably wouldn't be in business. I mean, these are really smart, big companies that know what they're doing.
3: Well, also, you know, like, look at what EA did with um, the mobile market. Hmm. They didn't enter it themselves. They found a company that was killing it at mobile, and uh, they just bought them. So uh, they bought Playfish. Yeah, there's
1: no sense in them turning that huge boat around to pivot in a new direction if they can just get someone else who's already doing yeah. a good job of it.
3: So another publisher decides to go all in for VR, and um, they they get all the customers, they get enough people using their product and loving it. Mm-hmm. Then, yeah, somebody somebody like Sony, like EA, uh, Activision will just
1: buy them. Yeah, so it was never our intention necessarily to like, compete with the big AAA guys. I mean... You look at the video games market now and there's a huge space that's been growing for indie devs and smaller devs between the guys. I don't see any reason why VR should necessarily and be that much different. I think VR, VR also a is, is
2: aptly suited for indie devs too. I mean, just because type of experiences people want, two to five minutes, like you're not, you don't have to create a gigantic thing with massive levels to show a really cool, awesome product that people will use right now. So, I mean, I think for all those reasons, like, it's not worth being scared of the big guys. They're going to wade in eventually once they can get their ROI. It's just figuring out what the head-mounted display guys, the people who are making those displays and need the content, what they're trying to do, how they're trying to grow the content and grow their market, because those are really, I think, the deciders.
0: So let me ask you this, and feel free to not disclose if you don't sure. feel comfortable with it, but I wonder you know, if 36 months from now, your big guy uh, comes up to you, big guy publisher says, hey, we like you guys. You guys are putting something cool. Are you selling? Like, uh, would you, you know, how, how would you?
1: <laughs> depends what they're after, I do know. <laughs> yeah, you're right, you're right. That's true. That's true. You know, what a is, dollar. we need to know the size of the island that we're going to get.
0: Um... <laughs>
2: no, I mean, that's a great question. I mean, I think you really have to look at it, at least from my perspective, of where can you do more good in terms of content? You know, if a big guy is going to acquire you, I, I don't know who this is, but let's say they want to acquire us, and they say, hey. You're in charge of X amount of fund. Go out there and get all the best VR content and make this thing work. Like that's really appealing because that then means that not only can we then create our own stuff, but we can find like-minded people like us and create great virtual reality content and go fund them. it, it extends
3: really, our reach. Yeah. You know, so, so we would we we might have a number. We may or may not. If um, anybody listening wants to buy a virtual reality studio. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, But, uh, you know, we think, um, first of all, creating our own content is where our hearts are right now. Mm -hmm. We love doing this. We love building new worlds and characters that people and audiences and fans get to interact with. Um, If a larger publisher wants to extend our reach so that we can do more of this great stuff and, you know, we can create more and more worlds like this, you know, we'd love to talk to them at that
1: point. honestly things move rapidly. Yeah. Just do. just because we get bought at some point doesn't mean we can't go off and do the next big thing later. I mean there's ample opportunity to continue true pioneering and moving in new spaces. Yeah. No, no, I mean I think yeah. one of the
2: things that you know we always talk about is that when you're, you know, a big company and you're looking to acquire a smaller company, not only are you looking to acquire the people who make good content, but you're looking to acquire people who know and understand the rules of virtual reality and the rules of the content platform you're creating. Mm-hmm. And that's really important. And you know, we say, you know, we don't know all the rules, but we're trying to pick at them and figure out, you know, what really works and what can be great. And yeah. you know that's really important for our studio.
0: Now, I wanna ask you like you, for you personally, deep inside, what is the thing that motivates you to stay in this medium? To keep pushing, to, you know, wake up and go back at it and, and, and every day, you know, like, what is... That private island. That private <laughs> island. Okay. No, private island, I like your priorities. Um,
3: <laughs> it is so friggin' fun to um, to design these spaces, these games, where um, you encounter a problem and you're like, wow, this, it sucks, um, but nobody else in the world has had this particular problem. Let's figure it out because that's a net gain for the whole medium hmm. if, uh, if we figure it out, when we figure it out. And um, you know, to be able to build the world around you from the inside of it is something that nobody else has done before. Yeah. Um, that's what this technology allows, to tell a story by not just sitting at a blank computer screen and writing what this character did but actually living in the room that they're you know that the story starts in and saying all right where would they go first um, what is on their night table that defines who they are or in their closet um, to design a world from the inside out is just you know addictive and really fun to be uh, designers at this do you, time
0: do you feel like God or do you feel powerful I mean what is it that what is it what, <laughs> what, is, uh, time uh, time what is it that tickles is. you like maybe a really
3: Tired God, (laughs) Um, because, you you know, so, like, you have to think of, you have to build everything from scratch. Mm -hmm. Um, So it it is, like, a lot of investment to get to the point where you get to start asking these really exciting questions. Um, I've been talking a lot. Let's pass it off. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, I think to answer your question,
2: I would say what I think is really cool and really awesome is to say, we have a new medium to play with. I mean, we have something that's different. And when was the last time a new medium came up? I mean, this is something completely different. And what stories should we tell in this medium that are so appropriate that will blow someone's mind just in this medium and not in another one? And I think those are the fantastic times that I really love is when we're trying to figure out the next new project or we're trying to put something together. And we really have that moments of kind of, you know, what do we want to tell? What do we want to do? How? Why would this work? And why are we building it for virtual reality? Like those are really fun times when it's trying to figure out the next project mm-hmm. and figure out how to build it. And a lot of times they kind of start with like an idea of what would be really fun or like maybe one thing we want to test off. So like the cafe, started off as kind of like, hey, you know, let's do something that's a, a tech demo. Let's let's do something like that. And Robin's like, well, I have this really cool story I want to tell with that too. And then I think it was one of our friends was helping build a reflection. And we kind of put those all together and it turned into something really magical.
3: Yeah, people tried it, even in the early stage. And they're like, wow, like, this is incredible. Awesome. Um, like, you know, film started um, trying to tell stories that were already told in theater. Video games uh, looks a lot to film industry, you know, that they're kind of copying um But it took a while for video games to develop its own language, just like it took film a while before they stopped imitating theater. And they said, what can we do that isn't possible in a book, in a live theater? Um, Each one of these mediums has something magical about it, and we're uncovering that magic.
0: Yeah, we're truly exploring. You guys are truly exploring a whole new world. But Robin, what is it that motivates you? What is it that deep inside gives you the fire? (laughs) To me,
1: it's the, uh, the Narnia effect. You, know, you find a medium where you can create that story to give people some moment somewhere in there that tells them that maybe there's something else. Maybe you're not living in you know, San Francisco where the streets smell like pee, um, but there are beautiful views. Maybe no there's something to pee and Pee and weed. Pee and weed. giving giving people that moment in any medium. I like writing, I like animating, I like making games, and VR is just kind of a, another awesome medium that kind of falls within those categories for making those moments.
0: Yeah, that's, yeah, no, I, I agree. And, you know, speaking of uh, pea-smelling streets, the one, <laughs> this one time I went to the VR potluck, and uh, it was it was off in an alley, and on the way to the, on the alley, there was a guy parked in his car, and he was getting a straight-up deep throat blowjob like it was it, it was going like the, this chick was going at it like oh, oh like the whole and i and i was just like man this city is amazing yeah they are like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. like it was 3 p.m on a sunday this is what you do <laughs> it's hang, hang out in an alley and get a blowjob uh it, it was like wow is this grand Theft Auto?
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah you immediately went and we stole a car well, I Just said hey let's see what you do. That's like the pinch me see if it's real and you're just like let's steal a car and see if this is real then you take off the VR headset <laughs> well okay, okay well it let's, still okay. smells
0: like pee well yeah, well, yeah that's it, uh, the reality of life but here's a question um, that I've asked a few people and it's one of the crazy questions that I ask people and I, I wanted to get where your thoughts are can you prove to me uh, in as simple terms as possible, that you, we are right now not in a simulation.
1: Really? No. Can you prove to me?
0: <laughs> really? Yeah.
1: <laughs> Does it matter? That's a good question. I mean, there I know. That there's the theory that you know the world, life, the universe is just a giant pattern that's executing itself. That could be considered a simulation.
3: Yeah, B. DNA is Goodie. like computer programming. So, We're just I mean, really a lot of these, these we is. see these systems True. that that mimic computer code all over the place. The reoccurring Fibonacci sequence, yeah. um, a base four system Craft like DNA.
1: Yeah. The real question is, do you believe that cheapens the experience of life? The graphics <laughs> are awesome.
3: <laughs> the gameplay is sometimes Things okay. Small like yeah. 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 Um, so, just don't speed run it. Uh, speed running life. Um, is kind of a disappointment. Enjoy oh, it. speedrunning <laughs> yeah. Speed running. Define speed running for those who <laughs> might not know. Speedrunning running is um, playing a game uh, that you've mastered as fast as you can to see uh, the lowest amount of time. So uh... people speed run like Mario to see...
1: this sp- speed run time, yeah,
3: speed yeah, I think it's like seven seven minutes or something is the fastest the yeah. they can do. Are you serious? Of... Yeah. Cause yeah weird it's, they use weird the... loopholes and... They use the Japanese cartridge because text moves slightly faster, mm-hmm. um, and then there's slight... we do a lot of work. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but then there's glitches the you work. can you can glitch through floors and everything to get to the end fastest, and um, you know doing that is awesome. Uh, I respect those people, but actually playing through Ocarina of Time and smelling the virtual roses is you know that's that's you enjoy it, and a lot of people who have played through the game. They they feel like they've spent a, a you know a, an important part of their life in Hyrule and that's mm-hmm. really great that's you know that's yeah
2: you know, I think you know jumping on top of that part of virtual reality is that you see all these worlds and you want to sink in a little bit deeper in them you want to spend a little bit more time doing that and that's what we can now do with that yeah, the yeah. world we
1: encourage escapism yeah <laughs> but it doesn't
3: cheapen the experience like yeah. if you've learned something valuable about your life in the simulation, or if life is a simulation, it's still valid.
0: It's true, and here's a, and this is why I sort of asked that question, is, the, to me, the real, one of the biggest impacts of VR is going to be this construct of reality that we have inside our brains is going to become much more malleable, you know, as time progresses, as the HMDs, as consumer version 12 of the Oculus Rift gets released, and all of a sudden,
3: holy shit, yeah.
0: Oh, whoa, am I orgasming at the same time? (laughs) No, but I
2: think you're right. I think you have a good point. I mean, I don't know if it's necessarily with virtual reality. I think in my own perspective, I see that leaning more towards augmented reality. When you start getting the blending of the virtual with the real, mm -hmm. you kind of get you know, when I can wear a pair of sunglasses where I can see everything that's going on, you know, the temperature of the room, you know, I know I see your name and face before, you know, I can see you walking a block away. Like, when that starts blending, I think then you reach the new step of, I don't know where reality are. And the uh, NSA yeah.
3: can well, we're also... We're talking
1: about the step beyond that, where we just get intravenous food and we never yeah. have to go outside
3: again. So one <laughs> of our mentors, one of the early researchers in virtual reality, gives this talk called... Um, Virtual reality will save the world. And. Um, What's his name? Uh, Mark, Bolas, Mark and, Bolas. You know, He's a great computer scientist. He invented a lot of the tech driving. Uh, virtual
1: NASA reali- in the 80s. Yeah, uh,
3: all yeah. around the place. A certified genius. Um, virtual reality will save the world because, um, you know, a lot of people say, well, you bought this sword in World of Warcraft for this amount of money. It's like, yeah, and I, I damn well enjoyed the money I spent on it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you pay for a Netflix subscription, you've spent money for ones and zeros. If you download a song off iTunes, you've done the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, look at the the previous generation of consumer products where you'd, um, they'd make CDs, they'd make cassette tapes. You buy them, you get sick of it, and you throw it away, and that's filling a landfill. Mm-hmm. Well, now, you know, we're, our consumer uh, spending habits can still... Uh, be in place but we don't have to fill landfills we don't have to crush cars that yeah. just take up space and rust away um, you know so this sort of exchange of digital goods are still you know that it kind of feeds the need that our society has to grow yeah. without actually leaving all the junk around that's going to destroy the world for future generations exactly
0: and here's the problem is you knock out of the park you you try to solve climate change because less cars less people traveling all that stuff you solve the problem of overpopulation and the uh, uh, socioeconomic issues that the post-scarcity economy will bring because we're not getting any less populated, yet uh, machines are becoming e- more efficient at automating our jobs. And so by 2050, The Economist with this Oxford magazine has been predicting that 47% of all American jobs will go away because machines will automate it. And you know, where are we going to find these jobs? And I think it's in the metaverse. I think it's in this, you I mean, know, this like place. I mean, look at Second
1: Life. People had full-time jobs. Yeah. And making shit on Second Life for quite a while. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> Pretty great. <laughs> right. I
0: agree. hundred percent. I think that we're going to, I think it's, you know, when Carmack and Lucky talk about how it's morally imperative that we create the metaverse, I think that's an aspect of, of that. You know, well, we te- have to.
3: And technology has constantly come to the rescue. Um, the great example from uh, Super Freakonomics was that New York was um, full of horse poop. They had so many horses there and carriages that were just clogging the streets and it was dangerous and the disease from the stuff um, <laughs> you know, what was causing a huge mess. And then they said, well, there's the car. This mm-hmm. is infinitely more clean yeah. th- and less dangerous than a horse. Um, And that sort of saved New York. They didn't know what to do until this miraculous device came along. Now we're in another problem that the car has caused, but, um, you know, being able to have true telepresence to go to the place without paying the the high price for transportation, the oil price that isn't just what it costs, but what it costs the um, natural resources. Mm you know, so yes, the, you know, it's very pompous to say VR will save the world, but when you look at it, it's actually inevitable.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, I agree. I'm with you. But at the same time, there's, pro, kind of like the car, how the car brought, it, brought along its own sets of problems, you know, VR will also bring along. It's ironic that I live in the information age, and yet I find it really hard to trust information. You know what
3: I'm it's saying? Too much. It just and then yeah. it, it becomes <laughs> cheaper to produce now. Yeah. Hello, listeners.
0: So apparently, my computer decided to um, crush every dream and hope that I had for this conversation to go smoothly. Uh, fortunately, I lost the last couple minutes of the podcast. I don't know why this happened. Um, it's only the second time it's happened. Uh, last time was with Brandon Jones. So I apologize for that. Thank you for listening. Thank you for. Uh, following the podcast, and I will attach all the necessary and relevant links to Otherworld in the show notes. I hope you have an awesome day, and thanks again for listening.